Welcome to We Go There. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... But hey, we go there. Because there's no such thing as having too much information when it comes to your health and wellness. We dive deep into topics, interview experts, and get answers you need. Because knowledge is power. And feeling empowered is what we're all about. So let's go there. Today, I'm sitting across from Dr. Tanya Kotler. She is a child and adult clinical psychologist. She's an author. She's a speaker. And this conversation could not come at a better time. And I'm going to share a story of what happened yesterday with my four-year-old. But the whole idea here is how do we break cycles? How do we really just parent in a better way than maybe we were parented? How do we do better? So man, this is going to feel maybe like a little bit of a therapy session. <laughs> Welcome, Dr. Kotler. Hi, thanks so much for having me. We're really excited that you're here. You are like very, you know, well known in your field. You write regularly for psychology today. You've published so many works. You are an expert in parent-child attachment, mindful parenting. So maybe the best place to start before I dive into what happened yesterday is like, I mean, we're going to get right into it. What's the first step in figuring out if you're projecting your own trauma onto your kid? We're going to go right there, right? We're gonna yeah, go we're there. going right there, right we, there. We go there. That's what we do here. Yeah. We go there. Because like last night so, I was like so triggered and my my kid hit me. She was mad. I don't know where, like, I don't know where. I guess I'm just going to start with a story. Yeah, for start context. with a story. Okay, let's do that. So she had a tongue tie release. It's an uncomfortable procedure. She had to go under general. She had dental work. So her tongue hurts. Poor thing, right? Understandably. And that happened Wednesday. Yesterday was Thursday. We go outside to play. She was okay. She went to school seemed to be fine. I was like, wow, you're so resilient playing. And then we get inside and I'm helping take off her two-year-old brother's boots. And I'm sitting on the floor in like the mud room doing this. And she just comes right and like whacks me hard in the nose. And it like stung and it took me surprise by surprise. And your your first reaction is, I'll be honest, I wanted to yell and like slap her back. <laughs> but I was like, you know, and I did raise my voice and I was like, why did you do that? Why would you can't hit? We don't hit, you know, but and, and she just kind of like stared at me like with a screw you look in her face. And eventually I was trying so hard. My, my husband saw the whole thing and he was much more like, you know, more sort of we need to discipline. This is inappropriate. Go to your room, this kind of thing. And I was in that moment thinking there's got to be a reason she's not a hitter, like in general. And and like, so I had to calm down, to be honest. And then like a good 10 minutes later, she's crying now because my husband's like, you didn't do it. And I get mad at her. And then I just pulled her aside. It's like, did you like hit mommy because you're angry at mommy? And she said, she kind of nodded her head. And I'm like, is it because your tongue hurts? And mommy's the one that took you to the dentist. And she starts to cry. So we got to the bottom of it, but it was like such a such self-restraint to not want to just meet get get down to that level and then like and I knew like I'm like okay I can't leave you alone with your big feelings I have to help you out with these feelings so that you're not getting these feelings of abandonment that like you're it's okay and I said to her I'm like it's okay that you're mad I understand it really hurts doesn't it like but it was freaking hard <laughs> it was hard and yeah, I, got I feel like I'm like <laughs> almost crying with Gabrielle like the big feelings of that and trying to work through it yeah. And just knowing there's what she's so much through. in your story. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and <laughs> Nikki, you basically like in that, that story summarize probably everything we're going to talk about. So right. we're going to be able to return <laughs> to that story throughout because the starting point is to me is what you did in that story versus what you didn't do. And for listeners, you know, you started with that question, how are we going to make sure that we don't pass it on? Uh, you could, everybody can hang up now. I hope they won't, but you actually, you are going to, to an extent, um, still have these moments of mismatch or rupture or carrying forward or even almost carrying forward. And so, you know, cycle breaking and intergenerational trauma and these words that we're going to talk about today are all the jazz or all over, you know, Instagram, people are using them a lot and that's great, but we need to be really careful. You know, I try to think about cycle breaking as somewhat cycle repairing. And so what we're really talking about is this idea of consciousness, conscious awareness, collective awareness of pausing and reflecting and knowing what has happened to us, what we might carry forward in us, and how we're going to be doing our best to not make certain mistakes, if we want to call them, or just how not to make our children feel ways we might have felt, for example. And knowing that we still might sometimes and that the key to breaking or repairing is actually that is repair. So in your example, and we'll flesh this out a ton, but in your example, what you did was you repaired, you, you reflected, you caught, you paused, you said, what's going on with her? What's going on with me? Whether you didn't walk us all through that, you did that. And then you named it for her. That validation, that recognition is the ticket out so to speak. So what what makes us try to not carry forward is awareness, it's consciousness. What made things carry forward is actually things remaining passed on by being unnameable, unspeakable, things cast to the shadows, shoved to our feet, feelings we're not allowed to feel, experiences, moments we're not allowed to talk about. That's what passes things on. And so this we go there podcast, this speaking, this naming, this reflection is actually the first step. Just listening to this episode and going, oh, this might be of interest to me is the first step. Well, I'm, yeah, I think there's so much there and I'm excited to unpack just even, you know, I know you have a, the passion of why you've got gone in the direction you've gone in. And I want you to share that because it leads into probably defining better to our listeners, intergenerational um, trauma and, and um, maybe providing uh, more, I mean, Nikki's story is a great way, but being able to allow them to relate more to like what that actually is. So do you want to share a bit about that? as we get started sure, into this. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about what is trauma, what is intergenerational trauma. And I'll talk about how I got into that. Let's sort of break it down. Okay. So trauma is actually what it isn't necessarily is the event itself, the, what happened to you. Uh, it can be partially that, but it's largely trauma is the response to the tragic event. It is the wound, the event creates. And that is actually quite substantially different. When we understand trauma as an objective reality, something being traumatic versus something not, we actually take away the subjectivity or the personhood of the one who experienced it. And really trauma is the experience of having felt overwhelmed, uh, the experience of having felt helpless and unable to cope. That's really different 
right? Um, I remember a really easy way to describe this is I remember, I think I'm a mother of three, and I remember when my eldest was two and we were at synagogue for um, Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday. And it was the end of services and there were a lot of people on the main floor of, you know, the synagogue, people were leaving and chit-chatting as they do. And my daughter's wearing, you know, her sparkly shoes that I decided to buy her that she can't walk in. And she's about to descend this like stairwell into the, you know, mass space of congregation and proceeds to trip over her toes and fly down the entire stairwell, right? In front of like all the gra- oosh, all the grandmothers and all the people and everyone's like <laughs> collective reaction as she tumbles down and I like in full embarrassment you know, run after her, not obviously able to catch the spiraling down child. She's fine. She falls. And I pick her up. And because the entire audience is on me, you know, child psychologist, I like, I do know what to do. And I, oh my God, honey, and you fell down the stairs and that must have hurt. And you bumped your head on every step. And I'm walking her through kind of what happened. And that was so scary. And I'm right here and I'm holding you. And it's so, and this man who is holding the door, a security guard walks over to me and says, ma'am, you just responded to your daughter. I'm a firefighter. So there's security at the the high holidays. And he says, I'm a firefighter. You just responded to your daughter the way we respond in trauma. This Mm -hmm. isn't a trauma. She just fell down the stairs. And in my like shakiness, I'm like, that's a trauma. You know, I think it said something like that. And he left and I was embarrassed. And then I processed it a little while later. And I thought, here is the moment, you know, this is my work, but here is this moment where he's defining trauma in his life's work for his reasons as an objective reality, a measurable event, a fire is a trauma. And yet the way those of us who study trauma, who understand trauma really know is, no, it's a subjective event. My daughter falling down the stairs, if she felt alone, if that happened many times, you know, consistently that she always felt alone in her pain or her hurt, unseen, invalidated, uh, dismissed, that's a trauma. And so that moment of responding, this subjective experience for me too, by the way, you know, all eyes on me, that's not lost on me, but for her was an important moment to respond to. So when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about this responsiveness, this wound something creates as opposed to a objective reality event only. Okay. When we're talking about intergenerational trauma, we're talking about the intersection of nature and nurture. That's really important and really hard to get our head around. And so we're talking about what we now know can be passed down epigenetically. So through through genes, there's research now on survivors, Holocaust survivors, passing down the stress response, higher cortisol levels in their body. Okay, so imprinted on nature. Why does this matter? Well, this is beyond conscious awareness. So going back to our first question, how do I not pass this on? Well, the nature aspect, the aspect that we carry within us, how we react and respond, having a higher sensitivity to stress, maybe a tendency towards fight, towards anger, maybe a tendency towards flee, towards um, throwing myself into work um, or finding other ways of coping, you know, chronic workers or using chronic exercisers or you know, trying to shut away my emotion, avoid feeling. Some of this is literally stored in our body beyond conscious awareness. So when someone goes, how could I do this? Well, because your judgment, the part of your brain that's in charge of judgment's not online around whether or not you do it. There's aspects of this which are automatic and nature. The nature intersects 
with the nurture. So the aspect of what you actually experience, the relationship, the parent-child relationship. So if we take an example of a mother who births uh, or a birthing, birthing person and she experiences her birth as traumatic because she had a C-section. It's not the C-section itself that's traumatic. Her subjective experience, maybe she, here I'm using an example of somebody, I probably many people I've worked with, her idea was to have a birth without intervention. When she had to C-section, she had to have intervention, but she felt very unheard. Nobody was speaking to her. Nobody was telling her what was happening. It was all happening really, really quickly. This for her was a subjective experience of trauma. She felt overwhelmed. She felt alone. She felt terrified. But this also triggered in her, her body, aspects of her body that numbed out. She dissociated, meaning she went to a space where she completely shut down. She couldn't actually speak. She couldn't actually activate herself enough to say what's happening. She went into total terror. Knowing her ancestral history, this might have been a shutdown response that existed within her. A lineage where she had her ancestral background was such where her grandparents were Holocaust survivors. and her her grandfather never talked about it. And her mother was always overwhelmed in the kitchen, not actually speaking to any of the kids, right? So she had a relational background of dismissing and shutting down and not talking about your feelings and not speaking up from what how the, she was parented that maybe occurred on a kind of nurture level. But she also had this nature hypervigilance and this fear response that lived in her body. And it kind of came together with this actual acute event of her birth and how she felt in that birth, right? So that in kind of a very overly simplified at risk of oversimplifying it story is what we're talking about when we're talking about intergenerational transmission of trauma. That's pretty... Any questions about that? It goes really deep. It goes very, very deep. I love that you mentioned nature and nurture because I've often... I've often had people share stories about their birth, as you can imagine, given what I do, not to make this about birth trauma, but just briefly, we'll pause here on this. And it's always interesting to me hearing how you can have two, we'll call them unexpected, unplanned emergency cesarean births, but one walks away still feeling empowered. I felt supported. I felt heard. I felt respected and validated part of the process. And the other person has lots of lots of, of trauma to work through. And, you know, it's, it's really hard to see that, you know, I'm obviously my wish would be for everybody to feel empowered and supported and validated regardless of what medical emergency may take place. And this is also very obviously personal for Lexi because of those listeners already know if you've heard that episode. I mean, I'm not going to speak for you, Lex, but you just lived this less than a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, just that you sharing that I'm now I need to take away and think of my reaction in the moment to the trauma that I was experiencing or the experience that I was experiencing, which I associated, you know, I associate with trauma. Um, and and that and my reactions and and my history and all of that. But then also forward thinking it when we now think about our own children and children's children. So how how is how do those experiences now not get projected on to our children? Right. And and that's I think I mean in essence what we're talking about today. But 
But now I'm realizing, okay, so I experienced something that I associate with trauma that I, I'm working through. And thankfully for this podcast, I get access to experts on these subjects all the time. Um, but now how do I not, not pass down things like that? Or can you not? <laughs> so your, your key word was, I need to think about this. Right? Yeah. And these moments where, how do we know? When do we know? You know is this, am I carrying this forward? Is this like, this is my ancestral intergenerational trauma right now? Um, well, our first moment is that moment you ask it, that curiosity with compassion, that reflection, catching moments where you feel stuck or in conflict, something I wanted versus some way I'm acting. So, you know, this morning, a, a way to give you an example, my husband took my eldest to hockey. So I was on the two girls for breakfast and my daughter had my youngest, who's four, thought she found the gold mine. She found one of those old VTech toys that, you know, if anyone's listening, please stop buying VTech for people. Nope. You know, I'm sorry, VTech, but you know, those noisy mm -hmm, toys the worst. make a lot of sounds. And she's like pressing on repeat, like one of those buttons and, uh, you know, the, the, whatever the frying pan's on. And I'm listening to a voicemail of a patient and I'm trying to, I'm at your phones in and I'm trying to figure that out. And I know I have this podcast coming. And so I'm full of, you know, frenetic, anxious morning energy of I have a million and one things to do today. Right. And there's that in that body. We all know that feeling, that fight feeling, whether you act on it or not, is what Nikki, you were describing. There's that almost Hulk, that inner Hulk um, moment where, what were you? Stop it. Shut <laughs> up. Or why did you hit me? Or, <laughs> yeah. We all, and sometimes we do it. And in this, this morning I did it. I went, turn the thing up. Like, yeah, it just like, okay. I, I like, cause it was just, it bursted out of me. Um, it was just all too much. Right. And the key, how do we not pass on? I've been doing this work for 20 years. So did I have a moment of turn that thing off? Totally. But then did I follow it? And sometimes you might not even have that moment. Sometimes you will. I followed it with, you know, not even five minutes later this day other days it might have been three days later honey i'm sorry you're just being silly you found this toy from when you were two you love it it's so fun mommy hasn't eaten mommy hasn't drank loud noises are hard for mommy all at once lots of noises i'm trying to listen to something you're asking for what you want on your your sister's asking for what she wants on her bagel and you're pressing you know the abc song and it was all too much inside mommy's body so and relatable oh my god so relatable i'm totally. dying over here <laughs> Right. And and then you just say, and I yelled and I'm sorry. And so when you say, let's see, you know, how do I not pass on that? That's the moment, whether done within yourself or done with your child. And we'll talk about, you know, rupture and repair a little later, I hope. But it's these moments where you repair within yourself. So first of all, that compassion for yourself, that almost hand on your own heart, like there was a lot going on right now. Uh, mornings in my home, maybe we're always really stressful. My mom was really overwhelmed in the kitchen and would react. So I literally hold that in my body, but also the non-literal, um, I'm maybe my body is quicker to respond. It's more passionate. My nervous system functions in a more sensitive way. So lots of sounds overwhelm me, right? So it's compassion to this is what happened. It's a mindfulness, what's going on in my body or what was going on in my body, a reflection. And what do I need? Or that's the compassion piece or what did I need? And so the key, the key question that you keep coming back to, how am I going to not do this? 
is I teach something called a mindful parenting workshop and I teach a four hour method because people like acronyms and the first R is reflection. It's, it's this constant coming back to a pausing, a self-reflection, a conscious awareness of what's getting triggered in me now, but also possibly what might have been triggered in me from the there and then. What do I maybe carry in me? What was my relational story with my parents, with my grandparents? And we dismiss how important that consciousness is. We really oversimplify it. Like, what is that knowing going to do? Well, that knowing is going to be your ticket to change it. You can't do it without the knowing. And so finding those moments of stuckness, finding those moments of feeling misaligned with your values, those are your moments of entry. Those are your moments of going, what happens there and what do I want to do differently? This episode of the We Go There podcast is brought to you by The Bell Method, a fitness company that blends Pilates with pelvic health, creating choreography from science. You might feel overwhelmed at all the abs after baby programs promising to make you bounce back after birth. Or maybe you're feeling unsure of how to exercise in pregnancy and prepare your body for delivery. It can be tough to navigate what information is credible and evidence-based. Women deserve better. I created all of our programs with the guidance of pelvic health physiotherapists, and we continue to evolve our programming to stay current with the latest research. At The Bell Method, we ditch guilt and bring balance to our bodies with programs designed to fit your life stage. We'll help you reduce incontinence, diastasis recti, and prolapse so you feel strong, confident, and empowered throughout pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. I invite you to enjoy 10% off your first class session with the code WEGOTHERE10. Visit www.thebellmethod.com for more. I have a question. And this is one of the questions that came up many times. So I did a poll in stories. I like to do that before podcasts sometimes. 82% of people, and there were about 5,000 people who answered, 82% of people were smacked or hit as a kid when they were bad. So they have a memory of that. And so it was like 20% was all the time. And it was another 60% that it was, you know, they have a memory of it happening at least a few times. So you know, and then I also had, so first I had to pause and be like, okay, that's pretty high. Um, so obviously there's some, some patterns that are likely to be pushed forwards, right. On our next generation of kids. And now we hear these terms like gentle parenting, mindful parenting. So I got a couple questions, like almost like eye roll vibes where it's like, oh, what is this gentle parenting stuff? Right. Like this sort of like, well, I'm fine. I turned out fine and I got whacked all the time, you know? And I feel like mm-hmm. this is also a very, you're nodding your head right now. I love that. But this is also really common with our male partners. And I shouldn't just say male, but I think it is. And, and those were some of the D I got so many DMS about this, but I also experienced that myself where, you know, I know my husband is also kind of like, you're not being, you're being permissive. You're not, you know, we've got mm-hmm. discipline. We're not, you know, and it's hard. So I guess this is a two-part question. Number one, how do you deal with the discrepancy of like parenting styles around this? And then like, let's just talk about like the eye roll vibes as it relates to, oh, this gentle parenting stuff, right? Like you're you're not teaching your kids, you're letting them walk all over you, like that kind of stuff. So I might answer them in the backwards order, if that's okay, because I yeah. think it might be, might be helpful. So this is a really hard generation to parent and I talk about eye roll vibes you know I know that if uh my grandmother was still here and listening she'd be like this generation right so 
I'll explain why I'm saying that. This generation is a hard generation to parent because the research we have that all this gentle parenting, compassion parenting, peaceful parenting uh, vibes are coming out of, whether they know it or not, sometimes as someone who has specialized in the science of attachment, you asked me how I got here and my doctoral and master's research and postdoctoral work was all on the science of attachment, the parent-child attachment. And the research that we have really on how that relationship forms and the importance of that relationship for the person's rest of their life, really, for the propensity towards becoming a safe within themselves person who feels worthy in themselves, but also the propensity towards creating secure and fulfilling relationships with others. That comes from the primary attachment relationship. Everything we know about that and how that happens has developed in the last 40 to 60 years of research. So that's key. You know, you know how old you are listening to this. So that means that a lot of us are and the first generation to be working with all this research, to have all this knowledge. It's like standing at a cliff where no one has ever, ever, you know, even allowed themselves to let a toe in you know, to even step close to the edge and we're trying to jump off the cliff. We are a generation of saying permission to feel, permission to be vulnerable, permission to speak secrets, to go there, permission to to be with your stories and your lineage and to look at what has hurt you and to look at those wounds instead of sending them to your hips and your feet. Everyone before for us has parented in a way of dismissing, shutting down, denial. So the anger, the moments of hitting, um, spanking. I mean, what is anger? Anger is increasing provocation. That's what the emotion of anger is. Um, Rage is much more than that. Rage is totally passed down. Rage is linear, lineage. It's passion. Rage is grief in the body. Rage is loss in the body. Rage is an intense amount of unmet feelings and it comes out like a roar because I haven't been able to process it raises anxiety. So when hit in a generation where tolerating was, you were constantly swallowing, swallowing, our parents were swallowing, 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 and then whack. Uh, And so we're the first generation going, stop, swallow, process it, name it. Mommy's angry right now. And so I just yelled at the VTech machine and you, because I'm feeling that our parents wouldn't have said that they would have just whacked possibly because it wasn't a generation of understanding yet of a conscious awareness yet that permission to feel that naming feelings that conscious awareness of what we're feeling that feeling feelings is okay that it's we're not going to spontaneously combust or not be able to handle them if we do that it was a generation where we thought the best thing to do was dust off those knees and get back up we genuinely believe that. And so we need to know that. We need to start at the gates to go, this is really hard, this cycle-breaking thing. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's going to free our our next generation from the burdens of what we carry. But it's also really, excuse my French, fucking hard. It's really hard. And so for those, you know, how do we manage it in a relationship where it's it's first the compassion with our partner who might not be there yet. Like, this is different. You never saw this. We're asking you to jump off a cliff with two feet. Of course, you don't want to do this to you. Boundaries and t- was firm. Like that's what you, and you feel you turned out okay. So you're going to me. Why would I do it differently? Like 
I get it. You genuinely feel that that was the best way. And it is opening up the conversation. Can we talk about some of, you know, when the relationship, and again, it's communication is open to it. Can we talk about some of the reasons why I might feel different? It sits in communication. Sometimes I say to couples when I work with parents and they have different versions, use the science on your partner. Uh, Sometimes it's helpful. You know, what children come to this world hardwired to connect. We now know that. They don't come hardwired. We come, you, me, all of us, hardwired to connect from infancy. It's like a basic way we come. We don't come born, you know, tabula rasa, blank slate. So we come hardwired to connect. We don't come hardwired to connect to. And so we learn very, very, very quickly ways of being in this world in order to get the connection that we need. And so if we learn, you know, being the good kid or the quiet kid or the acting out kid, negative attention, we learn it pretty quickly. We learn which parts of ourselves get reinforced. And so, you know, leveling with your partner, don't we want our child to feel seen and safe in who they are? They didn't come in blank. If we only reinforce them in certain ways, we are shutting down other parts of them, right? And so some of the research, we know that what our children need is to feel seen, to feel felt, that those are the most important things. It's not without boundaries. It's how boundaries are communicated. So it's saying, you know, we're not saying it's okay to hit mommy. Going back to your example, Nikki, it's validating the feeling that was behind the hit and setting the boundary about how, you know, expressing that emotion cannot be done via hitting. So it's twofold. It's I hear I believe you're in a lot of pain and that pain is actually making you angry because I took you. You can't hit my body, though. It hurts my body. If you're feeling angry, do we want to punch this pillow? And kids will like find that so comical. Like you're giving me permission to be angry. Yeah, it's a generation of permission to feel. Take it out on the pillow because the pillow doesn't have feelings. Go ahead, honey. And then they might cry or they might laugh and then you might hug. It's not, you can't be angry. You could be angry about this pain. You could even be angry that mommy took you, but it was my job to keep you safe. So I had to, you're allowed to have that feeling just not allowed to hurt my body, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're separating out behavior and emotion. And so for partnerships and saying, this is the science, but it's also saying, we're not making it a permissive parenting, you know, world. We're making it a world where we're validating emotion, we're validating experience, and we're still setting boundaries because we have to in order to keep the children safe. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that you broke it down because it's so easy to just eye roll and and say, oh, you're being permissive, like all this talk of feelings, right? But it's so true. Everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And it doesn't make sense. Like the hitting piece, it's like, as an adult, you're so dysregulated that you're saying, don't hit. I'm going to hit you because I'm bigger than you and I'm dysregulated and I've had 40 something years to try to do this, but I clearly haven't yet. So it doesn't, the hitting thing has never made sense to me ever. But I mean, it's just mind-blowing. in the body, right? Yeah. If your body's in a nervous system fight mode, that's automatic, right? We go into fight, flight, and and stress, fight, flight, freeze. And so fight is an approach of stress. Flight is, you know, leave the stress. And so if you have fight as a primary response and your kid, it hits you, if it lives in your body to be quite automatic, 
knowing that awareness of that becomes really important to help yourself, you know, okay, I know that. What do I need? Just like I said, the kid might need to hit the pillow. So might the parent, you know, does a parent noticing how do they know their anger triggers in their body? Do they need to go and push really hard? You know, imagine I had a wall right here. Nobody could see me, but you guys can (laughs) imagine you're pushing really hard against a wall with both your hands. Like you're going to push that wall away that working with that tension in your body allows you to complete the emotion cycle in your body, giving yourself as parent also permission to feel what you're feeling, but not maybe taking it out on your kid, you know, honey, one moment. Cause I feel like I'm going to blow and I'm going to go get my anger out on the wall. And then I'm going to come back to you and say, Hey, you know, I see that you were upset and you can't hit me. Lexi here. Okay. So let's shift to another under the radar, not so hot topic for a minute body hair. Everyone's got it, but a lot of us want to live smoother. Am I right? 10 years ago, I started Wax On Laser and Wax Bar. Wax On isn't just any waxing and laser hair removal bar. We are the industry leader creating a safe space that inspires people to live confidently in their own skin. Over the years, we've developed trust. Trust that you know you're getting the best quality and comfortable experience every single time. Whatever you come to Wax On for, it's going to be awesome. We've created our own exclusive gold wax formula that's like no other. It's as pain-free and long-lasting as it gets, perfect for all your waxing needs. At WaxOn, we've invested in top-of-the-line laser technology that's effective on virtually any hair and skin tone for effective results on every body. Seriously. And we carry a carefully curated collection of products. Some we make ourselves, locally I might add, and some are from brands we've fallen in love with that adhere to our values and standards of clean, good for you, and female founded. If you haven't experienced Wax On, I invite you to enjoy 20% off your first service with code WEGOTHERE. Visit waxon.ca or download the mobile app to book in with code WEGOTHERE because there is such a thing as a better hair removal experience to help you live smoother. I think it's so interesting that it ranges, like you've given examples. So we've talked about hitting, but we've also talked about in the morning, you having grown up in chaotic morning type environment. And then that then triggering you, you know, like I link that to, I was always growing up when we'd entertain, my mom loved entertaining. And before people would arrive, it would be chaos and just like, and it would hit this level. And I recognize if I'm hosting something like start of that, parts of that comes out in me. So I think it's just so interesting that you can reflect on all levels. It doesn't mean that intergenerational trauma is in you because you were hit as a child. It's like in it, in chaotic moments in, you know, being, having to be presented a certain way in front of people, you know, perfection, people pleasing, like all of those types of things that we could be passing down. Am I right? So the great way to think about it, I'm going to make it super, super, super simple. It as simple as I can, the nervous system, we have all these systems in our body, right? We have our attachment system. That's our relationship system. We have the circadian rhythm system. It's our heart and uh, the sleeping, right? We know all our digestive system and we, you eat and how your body gets rid of it. Okay. We know that. So you have a nervous system and your nervous system is like the CEO of all the systems. It's your safety system. And that at times of feeling unsafe, where do I, where does my system, what does my system do to protect me? So I might go into fight 
you might have heard these terms, but now it's a way to understand it. I might go into flight or if I excessively go into fight or flight all the time, if I've done a lot of that, I might actually go into shutdown. I might go into freeze, which feels more like depression, which feels more like an inability to activate or mobilize. And so noticing your stress responses, noticing where you go um, in order to try to get to safety, right? I think that's largely what we're talking about, right? Because the attachment system and the nervous system are really linked. And the way we restore to safety is through connection. So we want to think about the idea that in the relationship, you're restoring your child to safety, but depending what you got as a child, that might be some of how both on the nurture and the nature level, how you now respond to stress. And you may not do exactly what your parent did. You might've had a yeller and you actually might shut down, but it might be what you carried in yourself might be a higher sensitivity to stress. For example, a difficulty being flexible, moving from stress to safety, um, that flexibility in your nervous system. So we're talking about nervous system responding in a way, um, if we wanted to really simplify it on the nature level, that's one way to think about it. But we're also talking about relationship passing on ways you felt in relationships that you may pass on again. Interesting. I love this. It's funny, like <laughs> not just thinking about the difference between my husband and I, I'll just use an example in the past and we've known each other for a long time. But if we get into a fight, say just the two of us, I get really mad. Like I have a very, like a short, shorter fuse. I get really mad. I'm like a volcano, but then I'm over it. And like three days later, he'll still, he'll still be mad. And I'm like, what's your deal? Like, I thought this was done. And he's like, I'm still processing, but like, and then I get mad that he's still mad. <laughs> it's just like, I thought we were over this. Like the law, I love what you said, like the way it can take people longer for their nervous systems to sort of reset. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's also passed down. Cause like even growing up, my mom and I would have like these, like, especially when I was a terrible teenager, just like these like brawls, like, like cat fights, but then like, you know, an hour later, I'd be like, I'm sorry, you know, and we would be over it. But it's it's hard sometimes being married to someone who, you know, is very, he's he's less likely to then get provoked. But then when he finally does blow up, it's like, oh my God, here we go. It's going to take forever to get over this. And so one of the questions, you know, I know we said we're making this kind of therapy, so let's go with it. One <laughs> of the questions might be, you know, asking why and then asking why again with compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, why don't you get over it? That's one way of asking. That's just the blaming way, right? But then there's a compassion way, like, why why is it hard for you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, at times where it's calmer and there's space for the compassion. What happens in you? Why is it difficult in your body? Are you not completing the emotion cycle in your body? Does it, you know, sometimes people need to hold on to anger because they don't feel like the anger is validated. It's righteous almost. It's like, I'm angry and I don't feel validated in my anger. And, you know, so is it a lack of recognition that maybe as you described, Nikki, you received, you received ultimately a repair. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. We talk about that, you know, going full circle to the start that the importance in relationships is not the mismatches. That's how I open this up, right? We know from all these years of research and attachment now that it's millisecond to millisecond of relationship interaction that we have with our parents. And from that, we extract a representation of relationships. We extract this understanding of ourselves as worthy of love, as ourselves as safe, as safe or, 
unsafe as the world is trustworthy or not from millisecond to millisecond. Okay. So think of any milliseconds we just had in this interview, right? And there's tons of milliseconds throughout a day. There's my VTech moment and there's a changing your newborn baby and they're really cold and they don't want their diaper change. There's school drop off and there's millions of mismatches throughout a day where the child's needs and the parent's needs are mismatched. What is important and what we know from the research is actually the repair aspect, the repair of saying you and I had different needs. I know you wanted me to lie with you at bedtime. And I said, good night. I know separating from mommy is hard. I believe you. So the three most important words I say to say in parenting is I see, I hear, and I believe. So our children feel seen, heard, and real. And so I, I believe you're scared being alone, right? And so if we receive that growing up, or even if we receive that in adulthood, our parents going, I'm so sorry, I actually hit you when you were a kid. I didn't know. I've sat with so many people how that even repair 40 years later is massively important because that recognition of emotion allows them to let go a little bit of some of what they're holding. So if you've never felt recognized, you know, full circle back to your partner and you, if the repair hasn't fully happened. Sometimes it's harder to let go of the emotion that could make the emotion linger longer. And so when we're saying, how do we not do this? Well, we're knowing that we're repairing. We're having that conscious awareness and we're repairing, whether it's immediately, whether it's three days later, whether it's five years later, and we reflect upon something because the repair, the recognition of the real experience of the subjective experience of the person is what allows them to move through that experience and not have to hold on to it any longer. It's what releases the body from needing to hold it because it's become back in the you know territory of the mind. So the body holds what the mind cannot. And when we release the body with the mind, then the body doesn't need to hold it anymore. We need to do a workshop. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I've listened to you for so long. It's so, yeah, there's so much there and you're so great at um, explaining it in ways that you can really relate to. Like the whole time, I'm just like thinking of moments. I don't know, Nikki, are you? Like I'm thinking about oh, some yeah. moments of like this happening with this and this and Piper and da, 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 and like on and on and on. So this has been amazing. I think we'll have to do maybe part two. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the sensitive child. You had a, we're not going to get to that today, but even just like highly sensitive children, right? Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. You had a question about Piper. Yeah. Like, and that's a lot what's going on, especially as you talk about, I've noticed because I'm really trying to do gentle parenting. Like I'm really, I notice that when I sit there with her while she's telling me to leave, leave, like, I hate you, leave me alone, like, and hit me. And she does hit, like she, and <laughs> Unlike Gabrielle, like she is a hitter, like she will go to that place. And so it's as I like a coach different using different ways and kind of reinforce in the ways that you've mentioned, although it's really the opposite of what I believe should be done, because in terms of not saying like, don't hit, like stop hitting and um, you're hurting me and like things like that, that would be my natural reaction. It's taking a pause and understanding like Nikki, you did. And when I use those tools, I'm like, oh my God, it worked. It worked. And she calms and level sets and is wants to talk. She's very communicative. So she talks about it and explains her feelings to me and why she did it and all of the things. So this is so helpful because I'm understanding even more like on a deeper level 
it, but any other advice you have quickly before we wrap up on, on highly sensitive or, um, deep feelings, I think is the other name I've heard children would be helpful. So, you know, something I love as a psychologist who's been so immersed in this world for so long is seeing a lot of these terms come up, um, and getting so well marketed because it means we're speaking and we're naming things and we're using names that allow us to talk about it or, and so highly sensitive child or deep feeling kids, honestly use whatever term you want. And I don't want to be sounding dismissing what I'm at. What we're talking about is actually everything we just talked about. It's that intersection of nature and nurture. It's that carrying within themselves, the child who is, um, a bigger feeling child and who has, if given permission to feel those feelings, they might have a a higher sensitive nervous system. They might have higher needs. So they might be more sensitive to sound. They're more sensitive. So they're more sensitive to touch, but they're more sensitive to feeling. And so these feelings are really big and children don't come hardwired with how to regulate their own feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, I like we have a little minute timer, Lexi joked, and I wish that this was said, you know, 20 minutes ago, because it's so important. Mm -hmm. Children don't come to this world knowing how to take care of their feelings. They need to be taught. It's not an inborn thing. It's inborn to connect, but it's not inborn to take care of feelings. And so when we have adults who don't know what to do with their rage or their anxiety, or that's because they were never given the tools, the resources. And so our children, when they're hitting us, are looking for the resources. Mommy, what do I do with anger? I don't know. What do I do? And so when we can tolerate it, and it's so hard going back to the beginning of the, because we're on the precipice of this cliff where it was never done for us. But if we can find it within us through our own work, through our own mindfulness, we didn't get to that. How do we do it? But teaching your body how to downregulate yourself mm-hmm. so you can tolerate your child's big feeling moments and then giving it back to them, almost digesting it for them a little, naming for them what they're experiencing. This is anger. And this is what we do with anger. It's okay to have anger, and but we express it in this way, not in this way. Um, and I'm right here until you're ready. And kids will push back. The highly sensitive ones will push back because they don't quite honestly trust that you and them can move through it together, that, you, that they won't destroy you with their anger. They're afraid. But when you tolerate it, when you show them, and that's what why repair is so important. There's research that 70-30 split of mismatch and match 70 being in mismatch is good. Okay. And we should not be striving for more than that. That's good. Why? Because it's from these mismatches. It's from these hitting mommy and mommy tolerating it. That ch- the child builds trust. That the child builds you and me can move through hard things together. That the child m- builds this sense of emotion regulation and learning how to tolerate their big feelings and learning the tools to cope with them. And so if you're a high parenting, a child that feels like they have big feelings and you're going, sometimes it's not working and then sitting with them and they're yelling at me and they escalate first, actually it is working because what they're learning from you is that you can tolerate that you can sit with them in that bottom of the ditch through the storm of their feelings and that you don't need to fix it and that their feelings are okay. And through that, not being alone, they learn the resiliency to cope. Well, that makes love me this. feel a lot better. Oh my God. I sit there for a long time while she's working through it. And now that's working. Like that actually is working a lot better. And then we can build the track. Yeah. So you're um, just like sitting in her room while she freaks out? Kind of? Yeah. yeah. You're amazing. 
I just sit there. And that's maybe the next podcast episode. Yeah, that's right? it. It's like that 100%. curve of emotion. And like, you can't respond at the yeah. top of the curve. of the And big it's feeling. so hard not to. And I've only just like, I feel like we're just both Adam and I are just starting to understand like, oh, this is how we work with her. And it, and it, and it sprouts at those times, like the highly sensitive. So really pre-planning with her and like those types of things are so important. Um, quick changes are mm-hmm. resulting quick high emotions. So, um, yeah, it's all the, how to respond to big Next feeling time. children when you have big feelings inside yourself as a human being who may exactly. not develop the resources, right? Oh how do we do that? Yeah, um, that's exactly. the that's the nuts and bolts of the next one, but we touched on it a little. Exactly. Next time on we go there <laughs> um, with Dr. Cutler. Uh, so thank you so much, though. This is honestly so much great information. I feel like everyone's going to walk away from this reflecting a lot in their own childhood, and then also as parents and what they're you know how how we're parenting um, and applying this to our children. So. Uh, we will include everywhere that we can link you uh, for sure in the show notes. And then we'll definitely, we'll do a part two of this definitely and focus on uh, however you want to call highly sensitive, deep feelings, all of the things of children. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank Thank you. You're amazing. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.